Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So today we're looking at Jesus as uh, in the office of priest, that he fulfills the office of a priest. And um, I was actually thinking, we're in the Christmas season, the Advent season. I grew up caroling with my family around our neighborhood. I actually grew up uh, with Matt and I's family. Uh, when they came to Cosmopolis Gospel Chapel, we had a choir. I don't think you, I'm not sure you were part of it, but uh, younger siblings were. And we, every, you know, uh, every Christmas we'd uh, break out the Christmas songs to practice and we had this book and binder of all the songs that we did. And I want to say one of those was uh, the uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, one of the, the first song we sing tonight. Um, and one of the lines uh, in that that Charles Wesley wrote was, Peace on earth and mild, God and sinners reconciled. And that last part of um, God and sinners reconciled, I think, gives us a snapshot into what Charles Wesley was thinking about when he wrote those words. And he might not have been thinking, Jesus is priest, but I think, I think those words are a picture of the priestly office that Jesus, uh, the priestly office of Jesus that brings reconciliation between God and man. And so we can sing that with joy, right? Um, our passage, uh, I guess, I'm not going to be in any specific passage tonight, but our overarching passage for um, the prophet, priest, and king is Hebrews chapter 1. So I want to um, go to Hebrews chapter 1. If you would stand with me to read the, the first three verses as uh, so we open up here. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. May God bless the reading of his word. You be seated. In that section in there, there's a kind of a phrase in there that, again, points us to the priestly office of Jesus. And that is when it says, after making purification for, sin, purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, because of, because of sin, right? Because of the fall of man, it brings in, sin brings in brokenness. It brings in a broken, a separation from God, a brokenness a broken relationship with God. And, and we see throughout Scripture that um, 
people need an intercessor, someone to restore that brokenness. We see that even with the people of Israel, who God had chosen as his people, they needed somebody to intercede for them. They needed the brokenness that is caused by sin restored. And this is why the office of priest made to be an intercessor for the people, to be a mediator between God and men. So let's look a little bit at the uh, office of the priest. In we'll look in the, the Old Testament, right? Um, I'm going to reference probably a, a couple of different ones. I'm not going to get into the full detail of it because it gets really specific. I was like reading chapters and I'm like, man, how am I going to bring all this in? I'm like, Sam, you got to focus on, well, actually, Ben and Jordan kind of helped me as well. Like, you got to make it kind of, you got to make it concise. You got to bring it to the point, right? What is the office of the priest and how does Jesus fulfill that is what we're going to be looking at today. But let's look at the office of priest uh, a little bit. The priest um, had requirements and we're not going to get into all the requirements, but just like deacons and elders have requirements in a church, right? Priests also had requirements, right? That you couldn't just be anybody. Yeah, it couldn't just be anybody who wanted to be a priest could be a priest. And we're going to look at a couple of those requirements, uh, I guess. Uh, Exodus 28, if you would, uh, if you can follow me there, if you would like. Exodus 28. Uh, Verses 40, it says, For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. Verse 41, And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with them and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. They were to, well, one, be... Um, in the line of Aaron, in the tribe of Levi. That was kind of a requirement. Um, And they were to be anointed, right? If they were chosen to be priests, they were to be anointed to ordain them, to consecrate them. They were to be set apart. Leviticus 21 gets into a bunch of, like, these things that the priests could and couldn't do that maybe other tribes could do, but they couldn't because they were set apart for the work of God. They were coming into the presence, or, well, they were coming into close proximity to God, and God requires holiness to be in his presence. Leviticus 21.6 They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, 
they shall be holy. And then there were other ones where they had to be without blemish. They had to be, um, they couldn't have any deformity if they were to work in the tabernacle. Priests were to be anointed, showing that they were set apart for God and his service. They were to be holy to God without blemish. So I, I just I wanted to focus on those as kind of the requirements. There was a lot that the priests were required, and we're not going to dig into that right now, but I want to focus that they were to be anointed, and they were to be set apart to be holy for God. The priest's ministry, they were to be an intercessor between God and his people, acting as their representative before God. The priests offered gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people to reconcile them to God, to atone for their sins. Again, we see that sin has caused this brokenness, this separation, right? And God has made this office of priests to represent the people before him, to atone for their sins, that they can be in right relationship with him. And the high priest, um, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he would make atonement for, I guess, all of the sins that Israel didn't even maybe know they had committed. You know the sins that you're like, man, I don't even know if I've sinned against God. The high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. He'd make atonement first for himself and his family before God at the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. It's actually in Leviticus chapter uh, 16. I might turn there real quick. It says, uh, verse 29, And it shall be a statute to you forever in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated, and we see that the priest is anointed and consecrated, as priest in his father's place, shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord had commanded Moses. The priest, the high priest, had a very important job being the mediator between the people of Israel and God himself. It was he who would come in to the presence of God. First, he would atone for his own sins. He wasn't a, this is something to point out, he wasn't a perfect high priest. He had to atone for his own sins and his family's sins. Once he had done that, then he could come and he could atone for the sins of Israel. 
very, uh, very special job. But the priest's office and ministry in the nation of Israel would eventually become, in a way, outdated. The offerings of bulls and goats and lambs would become obsolete. Because this wasn't the, this wasn't the end-all, be-all to do this forever and ever. This was pointing to something greater. This was pointing to someone greater. And that's who we're going to be looking at. Have you ever started out with something that you would feel is a inferior or lesser brand? Maybe an instrument. I've got a Oak Ridge. Never heard of that, have you? You know, you've never even heard of the Oak Ridge guitar brand. You know what brands you have heard of? You've heard of Fender. You've heard of probably Ibanez. You've, uh, you've heard of Gibson. Those are all good, excellent, superior guitar brands to my Oak Ridge, right? You've never even heard of Oak Ridge. But maybe it was given to you. This guitar was given to me, you know? Or maybe that's what fit into your budget. You weren't able to buy the better option, or maybe um, you didn't feel it was necessary to spend that much money on uh, something that you weren't sure if you were going to use long term. Right? But whatever it is, whatever you have in mind, whether it's an instrument or, uh, uh, you know, maybe. The superior is the Girl Scout cookie, but you're stuck with the caramel, coconut, and fudge cookies from Walmart during the off-season, right? But whatever it is, you have this idea in your mind of what is better, what is excellent, what is superior, right? And, And maybe that's what you're looking forward to do. Maybe you're looking forward to replace that off-brand item with the original. To replace that Oak Ridge with the Fender. To replace the Walmart cookie with the Girl Scout cookies. And I'm not really sure which one's better. But in a way, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is the replacement of the inferior with the superior. Right? Christmas is the replacement of shadows with the real thing. And so tonight we come and we will remember Jesus as priest and how he fulfills that. And not just as priest, but as high priest. So let's look a little bit at how Jesus fulfilled the office of priest. Let's start with his anointing in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is Jesus' baptism. Look at this as his anointing by the Spirit. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, whom with this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We see Jesus chosen by his father for this ministry he was to do. And this was the start of Jesus' ministry. And we see Jesus, as he gets into his ministry, he starts forgiving people of their sins. That's something that the priests would be a part of, right? Atoning for the sins of the people. And Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven you. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We see Jesus heals the leper. I mean, there's, there's loads. You go into, you know, all of Jesus' miracles. I, I, I zoned in on Luke 17 when Jesus heals the 10 lepers. They were cleansed. That was also a part of, um, of the priests, right? Was to be a part of the cleansing. And people would show themselves to the priests like, look, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm healed. And then they would be able to be reconciled and be brought back into, um, into worship with God. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying to God the Father for his disciples and those who will come after him. We see Jesus' innocence. We see his holiness. In Hebrews 4.15, says he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right? And I was actually thinking closer to the point of the cross, and this isn't maybe the best argument for Jesus' holiness, but up to the point of the cross in Matthew chapter 27. Verses 22 to 24, the people are asking for Barabbas. They want Jesus crucified. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Jesus was innocent. He was holy. He is holy. And even on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Again, doing and saying all these things that a Levite priest might do and say, minus the, your sins are forgiven.
And then let's move into Hebrews. This is, this is where it gets really good. The author of Hebrews just hits it. Like if you, if you listen to this sermon and you're like, I got nothing from this sermon, you just go read Hebrews. I think he explains it just so well. So we're going to bounce around a little bit in Hebrews. Um, but I want these next few verses, I want to see, I want us to see that Jesus and his eternal sacrifice of his own blood on the cross. We see Jesus, the great high priest, offer the perfect and eternal sacrifice of his own blood on the cross. Hebrews 8.3 says, For every high priest appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Jesus had something to offer. It was his own blood. It was himself the perfect, holy sacrifice. Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. I think that's something to point out there, is the priests were not eternal beings. They were human like you and me. They had a time of death. But Jesus is eternal. And so with his offering as high priest and the offering of himself, it's eternal. You know what that means for you and for me? That means if we have believed in him that our redemption is eternal. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 27 and 28, and just as it is appointed for man to die, once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He only had to do it once. Just like uh, Jordan said at the beginning, we're not just looking backward to what Christ has done, but in this verse, we're looking forward, right? Having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time to deal with sin, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We should be eagerly waiting for him. Chapter 10. Verses 4 through 12, it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired Sorry. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first and the second. And 
through the offering of Jesus Christ once And every daily service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We see Jesus, the great high priest, before the Father. In the original, as I would say, holy of holies. At the right hand of the majesty in heaven, as mediator between God and between God and you. Hebrews 8 1 says, Now the point in what we are saying is this we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Then 9, 11 and 12, it says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. I read that a little bit earlier, but God is at, or sorry, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he is mediating for his people. Jesus is the superior priest. That is what the Old Testament priesthood was pointing forward to. That's what all the the sacrifices were pointing forward to. It's culmination of Jesus Christ on the cross, His sacrifice, His perfect sacrifice. He poured out His blood for sinners. For you and for me. Hebrews 2.15 What is... What does this mean for you? Jesus has fulfilled the role of priest and continues to fill that role at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What does that mean for you? Hebrews 2.15 says, I'm going to go back a little bit. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. If you are still in your sin, if you've not believed in Jesus Christ, you are in lifelong slavery. But I want to tell you that Jesus came to bring you out of that lifelong slavery. Bring you out from under the power of death. To bring you out from under the power of 
the devil, to bring you out the slavery of sin and the fear of death. And it's not just to deliver you, I don't know, while you're here on earth, but it's to deliver you for an eternity. And Jesus can do that because he is eternal. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, here it is, what does this mean for you? Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What will the blood of Christ do for you? It will change your life. It will change your mind. It will change your soul. It will purify, He will purify your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God. If you are not serving God on this earth, your works are dead. If if you are going through life serving yourself, your works are dead. You need a high priest. You need Jesus to purify your conscience. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, that goes into that eternality of Jesus. But he's not just an eternal being or eternally doing nothing. He is, he always lives to make intercession for them to make intercession for his people, for believers. So if you believe on Jesus, Jesus is making intercession for you at the right hand of the majesty in heaven now. Those who have drawn near to God through Christ. It is through Christ, through his blood, that we draw near to God, right? Does this comfort you? Does this want you, does this make you want to draw near to Christ more? Like he's making intercession for me right now. I may not feel I deserve it, but he is making intercession for me right now. He is doing the good thing for me right now. I should want to draw near to that. Right? We should want to draw near to God. He is making intercession for us. He is doing good for us. And and not only should this make us draw near, uh, make us draw near, but this should give us confidence to draw near. This should make us come to God in confidence, not uh, a wimpy, shameful, I can't come to God. I'm not right with God. Jesus is the high priest. He's who we need to go to to get right with God, to atone for our sins. Right? 
Hebrews, uh, I'm not sure if it's 4.16 or 10, but let's read both. 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Where are we getting mercy from? The throne of grace. That we may find, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we are tempted to do those things that would turn us away from God, He understands. He is He is of the devil at probably the highest point in his earth ministry, and Jesus overcame temptation. He knows the power of what temptation has on people. But we, he wants us to come to him in confidence. Chapter 10, uh, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, we have confidence to enter because of the blood of Christ, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. we should be able to come. We, his children, should be coming to him in confidence because of the work of Christ. Do do you go to God in confidence or do you shrink back when you aren't trusting in the work of your great high priest? Is shame or guilt keeping you from coming to God? It shouldn't. That's why we have a high priest, Jesus. And we don't need to go to, I don't know, we don't need to go to another priest. We don't need to go to our elders to, I don't know, save us. I think we should go to our elders and for advice, for um, maybe encouragement. But first and foremost, We need to be going to Christ. He is our priest. He is our great high priest. Um, And uh, he has intended believers to be a kingdom of priests, which is interesting. I thought this whole priestly... uh, the office of priest got like annulled or something. No, Jesus fulfilled that position. He is still acting as priest for you and for me. But he calls us to be priests and not in a way of atoning for our own sin. He did that. For atoning for other people's sins. 
It's not our job. Again, it's his, his job, right? But I lost my spot here. Um, but part of this priesthood of believers is that we have access to God now. You and I, if we have believed on Jesus because of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, we have access to the Father now. We don't have to go to anybody else. We go to Jesus. Let's look at a couple of verses. First uh, Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood in Revelation chapter 1. John starts out to him who loves, well, in verse 5, not quite the start, but to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have access to God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Praise God. But we're called to a little something more. And it's also, we're kind of called to, to, to be like Jesus. Jesus was the great high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. And um, you and I, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Turn there. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are called to be living sacrifices. What does this look like? I think, um, I think Romans chapter 12 gives us a look into that. Verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We are not to think of ourselves more highly than our brothers and sisters. And in that section, he brings up gifts, and we're to work together, not me decide that I'm going to take over all of the work here because I am more superior some reason. But understanding that we are a part of the body of Christ, that we all have jobs to do and we work together as equals, as, as 
as members of the body of Christ, as members of one another. Verse 9, let love be genuine. In my own personal life, I have found there are people who are hard to love. And I have found in my life, one of those is my father. And I have to go to God, and I have to ask him to help me to love my father. And I can't just stop there, or I shouldn't just stop there, even though I have found that I neglect it sometimes, that I can't just pray for that. I have to actively do something. I need to love my father, right, by helping him out, by, I don't know, inviting him over to my house for a meal with my family, with his daughter-in-law and his two grandkids. Let love be genuine. Love is not to be faked. Right? We're not supposed to pretend to love somebody. We need to genuinely love one another, to genuinely love people. And I think that's that when I love my father, I am being a living sacrifice. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Like that, do not be slothful in zeal in our service to God. So often we lose our passion, we lose our heart. And instead of going to God and maybe asking for him to, I don't know, fill us with his spirit and bring that zeal back, we kind of back off and we um, sit down and we twiddle our fingers and we, um, I don't know, uh, pity where we're at. But when we do not become, or when we choose to do the work and persevere, the work that God has given us to do, not half-heartedly, but with zeal, we are being a living sacrifice. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. When we're going through the hard times, I think those are the times where we make decisions or we, uh, our faith gets tried. When we are patient and stand firm during those times, we are being a living sacrifice. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Oftentimes we're reactionary. We may not verbalize our, our, our reaction, but oftentimes in our head, we're like, nope, didn't like that. I know maybe that's not the voice in your head. <laughs> but 
when we feel persecuted, when we feel afraid, when we feel that people are against us, when things didn't go our way. Our response shouldn't be to repay evil for evil. It should be to bless, to love. I'm not going to go through the rest of this, but I would encourage you to read uh, Romans chapter 12. Um, Maybe uh, meditate on uh, what these different areas look like in your life. How can we be priests of God? Be holy because I am holy. How can we become more like God and in our service to Him? Hebrews. Oh no, I think I got rid of that verse. Sorry, hold on. Sorry, I I know it's in uh, Hebrews, um, and it was about sacrifice as well. But we'll uh, we'll disregard that. So we remember Jesus, our great High Priest. We have an example of we have a great example of that as we seek to live out our priesthood in the people of God. So we come to this time, we're going to be, uh, we're coming into communion here in a little bit. We have seen our great high priest, Jesus, and the example he leaves for us. Um, and I want to, as we, as we come into this time, I've, I've already read this passage tonight, but I think it will do well reading it again as we, as we remember our great high priest. Hebrews 9 verse 11 11 through 16, or 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. But we remember Christ as high priest. So during this time as the music team comes up, um, We'll be taking of the elements, the bread and the juice, as we remember 
Jesus' body that was broken for us. We remember, we can remember his ministry on earth as well. And then we remember the shed blood. That brings about the forgiveness of sins. We remember the atonement that Jesus brought for you and for me. So if you believed on Jesus and you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to come up and be a part of this time of communion. Uh, We'll take the bread and the juice together. We'll go back to our seats during this next song. Uh, and then we'll take it together at the end of the first song.